Hey, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to The Caffeinated Artist, and I am so sorry for not having been there these last couple weeks. If you follow the Instagram for the podcast, you may know that I have had some issues with the audio for this week's segment. I originally recorded with my friend Madison on November 7th, which was the day the 2020 election was called. We did that on purpose, and I had it all ready to go. Went in to edit it, somehow erased it all. My boyfriend looked at my computer, got it back. Finals came around, had no time. I learned a few more editing tricks, but my editing is still sucky, and yeah, that's what's going on with me. And I'm so sorry I haven't been here, but I've missed you all. Honestly, it feels like there has been a hole in my heart not recording this podcast for you guys. So I'm so happy to finally be back. And I just want to let you know that this week I will be releasing another episode on Friday or Saturday once my finals are finished. Because, you know, you went three weeks now without an episode. And I feel it's about time for you to hear from me because I honestly think the last time I uploaded an episode was um, right before the start of November, so I think it's been a month since you've heard from me, and y'all don't deserve that, so I want to take the time today to chat with you guys and let you hear a little bit of what Madison and I talked about on that day almost a month ago now. So without further ado, grab your coffee, your tea, your midnight snack, your morning snack, whatever it may be, and let's get right into it. So as much as I've missed you guys, I am not going to update you on my life in this specific episode because I did record a two-hour long segment with Madison that has now been reduced to about an hour for your convenience because I don't think you want to listen to two hours of Madison and I just shooting shit at each other. So I will update you on what's been going on with me and kind of some artistic revelations I've been having lately, both personally and in my creative work and in this podcast. And we'll talk all about... Welcome back to the awkward ramblings of Sabrina Canown. Anyway, just kidding. Um, we'll talk more about that on Friday, Saturday. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to her. I have talked about her before and she was my roommate, sophomore year of college. It was a completely random roommate selection. We were both a little scared of each other going into it, but she has wound up being one of my best friends, one of my favorite people in the world. I tell her everything. We don't see each other half as often as we'd like, but she's just awesome and she's just like me. She loves books, movies, comics. She is an artist to a T, whether she will admit it or not. She's a great cosplayer and a great writer and I love her and I'm tripping over my words because I really should prepare these things in advance, but as you can tell, I do not. So without further ado, Madison Sears, everyone. 
<laughs> What's up, my guys? Welcome back to The Caffeinated Artist. Uh, I am your host, Sabrina Canoon. And um, did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, my name is Madison, and I am Sabrina's roommates, uh, or former your roommate. roommate. You're yeah. Right. You're, you're and they plural. were roommates. You're many <laughs> <laughs> yes, of and course. They were roommates. <laughs> As you can see, this is a pretty great start to my podcast so far. <laughs> I've taken over and I've ejected. I quit. <laughs> the wages weren't fair here. I'm the imposter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Sabrina. So, how are you doing today? I you love you as what? my guest. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. You know, I thought I created this podcast, but no. I've been wrong the whole time. <laughs> I've been working under you yeah and it's been all under your guidance yeah that's why I am where I am today exactly none of the ideas were hers they were all mine <laughs> yeah Madison <laughs> is the brain that lives within my head and then I just say whatever she tells me to say I'm actually illiterate <laughs> oh my god okay oh. all right so since you're my guest here um what talk about my highs is that Biden yes of course he won the election very happy about that and I got to see Sabrina Yes. Which is really nice. Um, you haven't seen me since September. I know. I, I'm pre-med, so it's crazy. And yeah. she's she has her own. You guys, we had a whole plan for the night. We were going to eat McDonald's and drink our Dutch Bros. And most of that plan came to pass, except for the fact that when we got home from Dutch Bros, I discovered that they gave me the wrong drink. And I am too lazy to walk all the way back there. So I am exhausted. I'm not caffeinated today. The podcast title is a sham. <laughs> She's the uncaffeinated I'm the artist. Un <laughs> the She's the tired artist. artist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the exhausted artist. <laughs> so, yeah, you're not getting what you paid for today. Not that you paid. I mean, when we were rooming together. <laughs> like, I brought home pizza yeah. for the fifth time this week. Have fun. No, you, you introduced me to Postmates, which was, which was a oh good God. thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what was the shittiest part of your week, my guy? We never got to that oh, part. Um, just the fact that I have so much work. That's literally all. Madison and I, we both connect, like collectively complain. Yeah. That's our brand. Yeah. We have nothing else to say. We just fucking hate everything. We're like the housewives on every Wednesday where <laughs> oh we just God. have our wine and talk shit. I thought you meant like the real housewives. No. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like what have I ever thrown wine in your face, Madison? Oh man! Oh, you know what we should have done? We should have gotten the alcohol and the, I was like, about the to drunk say, do you artist. Want, do you, yeah, do let's, you want let's me to pause? pause and yeah, like, and we'll come back. And, All righty, um, we'll come back and we'll be drunk. <laughs> uh, commercial yeah. break. Commercial break. <laughs> let's go. Our sponsor. Are you sponsored for this video? You could be like I anchor, am, but like by anchor. But also, I can't move this sponsorship around, so we'll already have heard it at the beginning. Oh, oof. Okay. So I'm sponsored by Starbucks, except not really, except Starbucks, please sponsor me, please. Oh my we'll God. be back. Bye. All right, you guys, we are back. Did you get that? We have, I think I might have. Um, we are back. We have our alcohol. Madison has already finished her alcohol because we got sidetracked for an hour and had a whole other conversation. Yeah. So welcome to our lives. This is us after not seeing each other for over a month. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 
who knows we'll probably like talk in between we'll have probably like keep pausing to talk about other shit too <laughs> knowing us <laughs> but today i think i'm going to jump right into the topic because madison has come prepared and so mm. have i <laughs> oh <laughs> madison might be I might, I might burp into the mic a few times, so you'll hear that. It'll be okay. Yeah. It'll be fine. She'll, she might, may or may not edit it out. <laughs> may or may, maybe I'll keep it in. It'll capture your, your essence. <laughs> Perfection. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Have you ever seen that Friends? Oh, it's God. It's really bad. I know you know that, and Reed also knows that now, and he's just like, I fucking hate you. Like, get out of my face. Yeah, this woman would watch Friends, like, every night before she would go to bed. Not every night, but, And like, every morning. I think you would wake up to it. Yeah, I would, I would wake up to this. you doing your makeup in front of Friends, and I would be like, yeah, this is normal. Yeah, our room, like, most freshman dorm rooms, we were sophomores when we roomed together, but most freshman dorm rooms have, like, a little wall in between the beds. Hmm. Our dorm room was basically, um... If I was, like, sleeping in a certain direction, I could see Madison. My closet door was also a mirror, so if I just looked in the mirror, I could see Madison. I'm everywhere. <laughs> there was, like, no privacy. We could just look at each other. We got to a point where we just walked into our room and towels. And we'd be like, yeah. We, like. we would have conversations with, like, the bathroom door open, too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like low-key if... Have we ever done the thing where it's like, if I'm in the shower and you need to pee, you're like, hello. I think we did that once or twice. I think after 20 minutes of rambling, you guys deserve to hear what we're talking. <laughs> to compare heroes, villains, sidekicks, and anti-heroes, did I oh, get I everything? sidekicks. No. Did you forget to, I, I think I didn't forget sidekicks, but I forgot anti-heroes. So I'm just going to do a quick um, Oh, I got you on Google that. Google search right here. Did you? Okay. Okay, so favorite hero. You go first, my friend. Uh, you should guess. <laughs> you, you can guess who my wanna, favorite hero is. Or do we want to go by, like, franchise? Or um, do you want to I go... think we can just bring it up randomly. Cause Batman, I think, would be your yeah, favorite hero. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so he's kind of... Uh, I guess he's more of a nostalgic sort of thing to me. I mean, I grew up watching um, like the Justice League animated series. I grew up watching Batman Beyond. She's seen my movie collection, Sabrina has. Yes. My wall of comic books. The majority of those are Batman. And I kind of like grew up admiring him, so that's why he's such like a huge favorite hero for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always kind of admired like his intelligence. He's the jack of all trades. Um, he's very much so resourceful, even though he doesn't have any superpowers compared to the other ones. Um, so yeah, he, Batman would be my favorite. Uh, what about you? Um, I'm trying to think from what my all-time favorite I picked, like, by franchise. I feel like, personally, my all-time favorite would have to be, I'll give it to him, Tony Stark. I think Iron Man deserves that title, to be honest. Oh. I think I think Tony Stark does deserve it. Like, as much as I, at the time when I was watching the Avengers for the first time, wasn't Team Tony mm. the whole time. I actually, I was not, I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was into Marvel when I met Madison, but I, like, hadn't seen all the movies. I didn't know anything about it. And this one converted me, and then I ended up binging all of the Marvel movies before Endgame. 
and we went and in costume yep. and saw Endgame together. We got um, the onesies of their spacesuits from um, the movie, and we went with our um, other roommate, Sam, and watched that. We cried in each other's arms <laughs> the, whole, the whole time. Yeah. Black Widow, man. Oh. That one hurt. She's, in the, she's on this list for me. That one hurt. That, like, destroyed me. You know what hurts me more? The fact that the movie isn't coming out yet. Oh, yeah. Okay, but here, okay, here's the thing that pisses me off, though, about how the writers wrote. I don't know if this is too much of a side tangent, but the fact that she didn't get her own solo movie before Endgame, they literally had to kill her yeah. off before she got her solo movie. That pisses me off. I think that that's awful. Yeah, and they were all, like, in Endgame. I'm probably going to get hate for this, but <laughs> they were all in Endgame, like, showing all the women, like, coming out during the final battle and showing them all grouping together. And, and she you know, wasn't a part of that. Yeah, she wasn't a part of that. And they were trying to suggest that they were all about, like, female representation within their movies. But the fact of the matter is, like, no, you waited so long for Black Widow. You can't just say that, you know, you're supporting female representation no. when you failed to do that. Absolutely not. Like, mm-hmm. And the thing is, is, she should have been part of that. I understand that um, Scarlett Johansson's contract was ending. She chose not to renew it. And I get that. And they had to obviously think of an exit for her. But when you like when you're trying to be inclusive and show the female representation they should have done it in a way where she was a part of that yeah they or, should have given her her movie before on it, yeah they should have and i think do we know if hawkeye is going to be in the black widow movie i think he is cuz i think they're going to mention budapest but okay. i'm not sure because um, i like i think had they done it before endgame had they done it honestly at the same time they had done everyone else's mm-hmm. Like, it would have made so much sense for him to find her because he's the one that helped her. And he's the one that turned her good. Yeah. As opposed to being, like, the spy from the Red Room that she was. And is that what it, that's what it's called, right? Am I wrong? No, it's the Red Did Room. Did I say Red Room? I was like, that sounds way too much like Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm misquoting <laughs> myself. I think no. it is. I'm more of a DC person than Marvel. But and I've never seen DC save for the Joker. And mm. then, like... The Batman movies that we were watching and then we never finished. <laughs> Wait, about Robert Pattinson as Batman, especially because, like, in general, I don't feel like he's that great, a, great of an actor. Oh, <laughs> I don't I see films you than you are. I want to, like, geek out over it with because, like, you still care, just not as much as, like, DC. Yeah, I still enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I think there are a lot of problems that fans like to gloss over or attack you for having an opinion for. Oh, no, for sure. Wait, what's one that you hear all the time? Because I don't know about other people's opinions that much. I really only know yours. Uh, you mean, like, about the MCU that, like, people attack you for? Oh, uh, well, I did see kind of what I was talking about earlier with the female representation scene. I was watching a YouTuber called, uh, am I allowed to mention YouTubers? Yeah, okay. Okay, Dylan is in trouble. Like, he got a lot of heat on Twitter for saying the exact same thing I did. And people were saying, oh, you're against, like, feminism. You're against all of that. And, no, he made a pretty valid point about it. And I feel like it's kind of just a general thing that Marvel fandoms kind of do. Yeah. That they pretty much just attack you for having a different opinion. And it's like, no, you're allowed to critique work. You can still love something and critique it all you want. Right. I mean, I think 
My thing too is people are criticizing, and I criticize this as well, is people were very excited to have Natalie Portman be female Thor. Mm. I, on the other hand, was very confused by that. Is I'm like, okay, but Natalie Portman is also Jane. Is she just stepping into Thor's role at this point? Like, what's the I th- point of that? I think in the comics, she takes up um, Thor's... Uh, she takes up the mantle of Thor. Um, so they're trying... I think they're trying to retcon that, but... Um, to be honest, I don't really like that decision. Not to have a female Thor, but just Natalie Portman as a I think that's Thor. my thing about it, too. Yeah. Is like, even as Jane, and I know that Jane's kind of made out to be, like, helpless a little oh bit. Oh, my God. I hate She's that trope. She's way too helpless in the films. I don't know how <laughs> she is in the comics. I've never read them. But I haven't read any with female Thor, either. But So, I just think she's way too helpless as a character. Um... There was another opinion that I had. Oh, it's like even um, yeah. him as a whole is kind of an underwhelming movie for me. Mm. I think we had that yeah. conversation coming out of the theater too. Is it was just very underwhelming. I think the final battle was the only thing that I like expected, and even then, for whatever reason, I think I expected more. Yeah, I. Th- um, the only thing about that, my favorite, the ending he deserved mm-hmm. because Cap said a thousand times, "You will never lay your life down for anybody else on this team." You won't lay your life down in the place of, like, the people over yourself. And that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. And you could see it on Steve's face the entire time. He's, he, like, as Tony died, realized he was wrong. And that was the only, that was the best part of Endgame for me was realizing he, that Steve realizing that he was wrong. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's why, that brings me back to, like, the point is, like, Tony's my favorite hero for the fact that, like, he has such a character development that I think the movies did a really good job of giving that to him, too. Oh, yeah. Civil War did an amazing job of giving that to him. Mm-hmm. As did... No, I don't know. I thought of, like, the third Avengers movie, and I was like, no, Infinity War is the third Avengers movie, and I felt like Civil War should have been an Avengers movie. Yeah, for sure. For and sure. And that's why I was like, wait. <laughs> for sure. Because I don't think Captain America when I think Civil War, I think Avengers. No, because, and the only reason they didn't classify it as an Avengers movie is because Thor and Hulk weren't there. Hmm. That's literally it. Because <laughs> the obviously that's that's why they're classified as like the Avengers movies is when they're all there. And then I was like, that's literally why probably because the other two wouldn't sign on. So they were like, let's just make this a Captain America thing and make it about Bucky. It wasn't about Bucky at all. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> Have we just noticed that none of the Captain America films are really about him? No, I would argue the first Avengers is about him. Well, I mean, other than that. I know that the first mm. Avengers is mainly about him, but that's also my least favorite one. Oh, I kind of liked that one. I like it. I'm not saying it's bad. Mm. I just don't like it as much as I like Winter Soldier. Oh, Winter Soldier was really good. Winter Soldier was the best one. But the thing that pisses me off about... What they did with Endgame is, we're probably, this is like derailing real quick, but. I mean, like, this is all about heroes and stuff, so like, it's fine, it's all in the same. I think it's a long conversation about something like. And Steve arc was really ridiculous because throughout the three movies of Captain America, you're seeing him defend Bucky, you're seeing him basically stick up for him, and Peggy moves, Peggy Carter moves on. And so she doesn't need Captain America anymore. You can see that in some of, like, the side shows that they sort of include her in. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people argue that it is queerbaiting. And I would argue that it is, too, because the fact that, you know, 
Steve is like, I'm going to be there for you till the end of the line. And then he goes back for Peggy. Um, right. I think that's because they didn't want to include a queer relationship within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I definitely think so. I mean, it just also pissed me off because the entire time, throughout all three of his own movies, he's, been, he's going, I want my best friend. This is my best friend. I will do anything to protect him. Exactly. Why would you leave him alone? Yeah. I know that Chris Evans didn't want to continue. Yeah. But... You Honestly, it would have been better to kill him you, you, than to make him go back. I think they could have even done it to where Steve, like, retires. But I think people, I think there is the argument, yeah. too, that he would, why would he retire? He, he'd still go back in to try to help people. But, you know, like, right, I feel yeah. like that should be sort of normalized, that you can pass your legacy on to another person, and then he and Bucky could have lived, you know, their own gay fantasy or whatever. <laughs> but, I mean, like, I... <laughs> I know I agree. I'm just saying I think that like him retiring is isn't feasible because it is Steve. He would yeah. he would never be like I'm going to hang up my hat like if somebody needs my help like here I am. And I'm sure even when he went back if he had the ability to um help people he he did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that changed about him. But then I I wonder did Peggy really move on because if she's going back, well, no that's not true. Russo brothers like logic for this and hmm. apparently when Steve went back and I think you and I have had this conversation when Steve went back it was that there was a like time loop created to where the cap that was in the ice remained there but Steve was able to go back so Steve was growing old with Peggy while he was also in the ice so there was essentially two of him Mm -hmm. So that makes me wonder if when Peggy dies, you see an old man up near her um, casket. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's Steve, hmm. like when he's older. It would have been interesting, but I think what would have been even more um, of a good character development is if he stayed, you know, because he's always wanting to go back to the original realm right. he's always wanting to go back in time and i think if he accepted that that would have been such great character development right um, it just shows that he didn't develop at all yeah he and, he just went back to his old ways and yeah. i mean like i get it i understand that the like being adaptive to a whole new century is probably really difficult but also he spent what at that point 10 years mm-hmm in the 21st century at that point why waste all the time trying to get reacquainted with it like why waste that much i mean i know he had no other option but at that point why would you go back because can you imagine like when google gets invented and steve's like oh wow i've missed the internet and people are like what what the hell do you mean menagers i'm so sorry i know i don't know if i forget if you do or not but i do ship romanagers so hard I, I, I really yeah I, I do in some cases but I very much would rather have Steven Steven uh no Steven <laughs> I ship Steven Bucky. yeah I'm saying like but because they had Nat end up with Bruce like in Age of Ultron oh she I forgot the ship name okay end, but oh, I didn't ship it I'm sorry I did not no I do think but I've like honestly I never thought of we understand we stand um Who's your favorite villain? Oh, uh, God. I've <laughs> the face of embarrassment. I have so many. I have so many, though. Like, I, that's not even the beginning of Heroes. I think, like, my favorite hero of all time is Iron Man, but I have so many more. Mm. 
Um, oh yeah, then continue. Continue on your favorite heroes, because I I only had Batman. I oh yeah. I mean, another one. I'm gonna go into Harry Potter now, as I always do. Do it. The silent hero, Neville Longbottom. Oh, I nobody. Nobody gives Neville enough credit. Absolutely no one. Because the character development that Neville has. Mm-hmm. Insane. Like, in the first movie, you see the glimpse of it when he's, um, you know, when he gets the house points at the end for having stood up to Harry, Ron, and Hermione when they're trying to go and get the Sorcerer's Stone. You see the glimpse of it, and then he kind of fades away until, like, movie n- book slash movie number four when he gives Harry the gillyweed. Like, Let's be honest, if he hadn't given the gillyweed to Harry, Harry would have died in the second cast. He would have had no fucking clue. Harry would not be alive without several people in the books. Yep. The most important one being Hermione Granger. I was going to say, yeah, Hermione. Like, if Hermione wasn't there, Harry would have died in five minutes. He would have, like, just gotten to Hogwarts and died. The troll would have killed him. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been it. Um, and then, actually, let me, like, Neville had his character development, like, from Goblet of Fire on. Because hmm. he helped Harry, and it was, like, a very small, inadvertent character development. But in Order of the Phoenix, he finally starts really learning defense against the dark arts. And he becomes a badass, who then kills Nagini, and basically stands up to Voldemort and is just fucking immaculate. He becomes Hogwarts Herbology Professor and takes over for Professor Sprout. That's perfect. Like... Amazing, but if I may just mention Hermione. Oh my word. Harry's not even the hero of the series. He killed Voldemort, but he doesn't fucking matter. Because, Mm. again, man would be dead. He's so stupid. (laughs) Like, Harry isn't a likable character. Fight me. Oh. Like, he's likable because you feel bad for him because, like, he has no one. Yeah. Like, his parents are dead, Sirius dies, Remus dies, and all he has is the Weasleys and... He's alone. He's a product of abuse, too. Yes, he is also a product of abuse. Fuck the Dursleys. But other than that, he's not smart. He's not someone you root for, I guess. I mean, like, you do, but like... In the memes. In the, in <laughs> the, the memes me- are hilarious. The memes, like, just the sheer stupidity of this boy. Yeah. Like, there's so much that he does that I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, in Sorcerer's Stone, they go... Immediately thinking they could take on a mountain troll. When she was petrified in Chamber of Secrets, they would have died. Had Hermione not bought Crookshanks in Prisoner of Azkaban and Crookshanks hadn't led them to Sirius, they would have died. Or not they would have died, Peter would have came back and they would have killed him. If Hermione wasn't there to help him through the tasks when Ron was being a little bitch boy and support him and tell him to be careful and do his research before each task, he would have died. In Order of the Phoenix... Hermione wasn't there giving him the idea to start Dumbledore's army. Again, Hogwarts would be defenseless. Mm. Just so many things. In Deathly Hallows, don't even get me started. If Hermione wasn't there, they would have dropped dead at Villain Floor's wedding. End of story. They would have been gone. MVP. Oh, yes. That's my alarm to brush my teeth. Ah. <laughs> Villains. <laughs> It's a villain to not brush my teeth. Um, uh, see, I kind of struggled with uh, with 
thinking about villains because I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like villains just aren't as well developed as heroes are nowadays. They're very much no, so. No, not nowadays. Yeah. I have a few favorite villains. You can go ahead and start. Um, but in Harry Potter, it is the cliches. This is because we watched the movie and now it's my favorite. The Joker. Oh. I think that's, that's the only oh, well-developed well villain yeah. that I've seen lately. At least the only well-developed villain in film that I've seen as of late. Batman's rogue gallery is just fan fantastic, phenomenal. Like, the fact that they have so many villains with, like, backstories that just make so much sense to how characters sort of... Um, how they sort of work within the story, how they compete against Batman. It's, like, yeah. fascinating. And I think part of that is just because Batman is such an... Uh, he's, he's so interested in psychology of criminals that you have to kind of add yeah. that to them. But... That's for yeah. sure why, like, I thought I, I'm picking Joker as my best, as my favorite villain, because I'm a big fan of villains whose backstories are explained, and I guess that's another reason why I'm a fan of Voldemort, because they went into such great deal, especially in the books, of explaining his backstory and where he comes from and why he is the way he is. Yeah. I'm going to go back to that for a quick sec and be like, and you know that I was appalled by the movie, like, when, we, I think, weren't we both terrified walking out of there? Oh, you're talking about oh, you're talking about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Yes. For some reason, I was thinking you were talking about. I have not seen about... Heath Ledger's Joker. I saw the first ten minutes. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. I thought you said we didn't watch those films. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, he was he was such a good he was such a good villain. And yeah, we were so tense in that theater. Like I remember. We walked out scared. Yeah. I, I, I swear I had PTSD from that because yeah. I was walking on campus and I was like, someone could shoot me right now any minute. I like, always think of like the clowns, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. someone coming out or like watching me and I always think of that and I'm like, there could very well be someone that does that. Yeah. And I always think about it. I'm like, what if I turned this corner and got shot right yeah. now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just walking past the bus stop by Taco Bell, I freak out. I pretend I'm on the phone with my dad every time I pass it and Reed lives down there. Mm -hmm. So I like have to pretend that I'm on the phone because if not, I get scared because people will start to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, I like from what I saw, I remember falling. We both fell asleep, I think, when we were watching Heath Ledger's, Ledger's Joker. But I remember thinking Heath Ledger just immediately right off the bat was a more convincing Joker just because he had worked so hard to get into the role. I know the history of that despite not having seen it, but I think just the way they performed Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, like from beginning to end. You could feel it building. Yeah, you could yeah. feel like the tension with each scene of the movie. Like cinematically, as a film minor, I'm going to say that movie is one of the best I've seen cinematically. They did it beautifully. The only problem with... Uh, I would say about Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is that it's very much so um, um, arguing mental that illness yeah, mental worse, illness yeah, not worse than it is. I'm saying making it seem like the reason why people become murderous psychopaths. Yeah, and really statistically, I think all viewers probably know this, but the fact that um, people with mental illness are more of a harm to um, themselves than they are to other people. Right. There's a difference between. Um, like diagnosed mental illness that affects you yourself, and then there's a difference between would that be classified as psychosis or I'm it's not, not sure. psychosis? It's a form of it's a form of mental illness certainly, but it's not in the sense of the normal mental illness that you see on the day to day. 
there's something else I think that has to snap inside of you in order for you to become that. And that could be whether you have a mental illness or not. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they centered it around what was the mental illness he had, because I know that that's a thing that other people do have. It was something about his like laughter when he would laugh at inappropriate I know, I'm moments. Trying to th- I'm trying to think of what it's called. I can look it up. Because um. I know that that's a thing. I, was, I saw it the other day, actually, and I can't remember what it's called. I didn't know that was a real mental illness. I didn't either, but until I like saw it, I think I don't know if it's real, but I think it is because I heard I think I heard someone discussing it, and it looks like it's just specific to the to the Joker, but I can't find a. But I think the fact that they centered it having to be so much around his mental illness and making him or making it be like oh because he's mentally ill like. Look at what you like the things you say and do to mentally ill people can cause them to go like this. So be careful is the message that it was sending. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that, but I think the way that they had the tension build into him becoming the villain that he is, I think that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like when they were doing the scenes where he was hallucinating being with the woman across the hall. Yeah, I thought those were real. I did too. That until tripped me the up. end, and I was like, wait, what the hell? Or when he goes after his. Co- his former co-workers with the scissors. Oh, I was, was I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't. I had to like I really hoped that the guy that got away, I I was so happy that he did cuz I was like please don't kill him. He's such a nice guy like Yeah. But so was the other guy. No, he wasn't. He no. was bullying him a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. You're right. I like couldn't remember. I refused to watch the movie again hmm. because it terrified me to my very soul. But um no, I think that the Joker is such a multifaceted villain because I think DC did a really good job from the get-go of giving him a really good backstory. Yeah, and I think it holds up in the comic books too. The fact that Joker is such a foil for Batman. Um, like the, My favorite quote is just that um, when an unstoppable uh, force meets an immovable object. Like That's very much so their relationship. And that's what I that's what I think that you should include in like your writing when you're writing your villains is if they're such a good foil for your protagonist, um, you can just get so much out of it. Like writing wise, you can develop your characters and kind of make them justify their morality. Yeah. And I think no, that's definitely you have to also go into like the backstory too of the characters in order to find that foil too. Like you would have to know the backstory extremely well in order to be like, this is the perfect foil for the hero. Yeah. And I think that they did a really good job with that too because I wasn't, again, I'm not a big DC person, but the whole movie I wasn't like cognizant of the fact that the mayor's son is Batman or hmm. will grow up to be Batman. Until the end when he kills them. And then it, it like pans out on his face. Where, and then I think you told me afterwards. You were like, that's... Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah that's Bruce. I was like, what's his name? Oh my god. <laughs> You're it's, good. It's too late for me to remember names. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, no, but I think that it was beautifully done. And again, like that's something you need to be conscious of in your writing. Yeah. Which is like... You get, like you said, you get a lot out of writing the perfect foil for your character. And it's just like, backstories like that are what make it so. Like, I think without the good, the amazing backstory that the Joker has, he wouldn't be as great of a foil for Batman. I think he would just be another cliche villain. The like. Yeah, and, you know, I... 
And there's kind of another side to that, I would think, too. Um, you know, a lot of, like, I'll bring up Game of Thrones. Um, a lot of the characters there are very morally gray, but you can kind of see how a lot of their backstory contributes to the decisions that they make. Um, like I have no idea about Game of Thrones. You're good. So. I, I've seen, like, the first four seasons, but the reason why um, Cersei is such a great villain is because you can kind of see how basically the patriarchy is contributing to her mindset where she needs some sort of power. And, you know, while she is very ruthless, while she's very villainous, the fact that she is also maternal and the fact that she also has these good qualities makes her such a great villain. And I feel like, I feel like there's almost a problem with modern writing to where I, I really don't like the black and white villains because you don't really see... I feel like the most compelling villains are, are villains where you can see yourselves in them, and that's scary. Right. It conveys a really great message because you're like, oh, is this morality, like, really what I believe in mm. sort of thing? Like, no, I agree with that. That's why I, like, was so struck by the Joker because, like, especially in the Joaquin Phoenix version, he feels like he's on the outside. He feels, geez, almost attacked by society, and he feels just like an outcast. And I think everybody, mental illness or not, feels like that to some respect. Yeah. And it's like... It really makes you dig deep inside yourself and you're like, is this something I'm okay with watching? And then it's like the people who were like totally unfazed by the violence, that makes you think too. Especially as a person who was unfazed, like, not me. But like, if you are the person who's unfazed, I'm sure that makes you think about yourself too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, like you said, the best villains are the ones where you can see yourselves in them. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of other great villains too, they, um, if you have like morally gray characters that are kind of like fighting each other based on like an unanswerable question like that kind of makes your piece a little bit timeless too because you can still go back and answer those questions or you can still go back and debate that and there even though there's like no wrong or right answer it makes you think and to me that's what makes such compelling writing is when you walk away and you're digesting it for weeks on months on ends and you're like which yeah. is the right answer you never know yeah I mean like that's also something you see with Mm -hmm. Snape is very morally great. As I'm talking about Petunia, I'm thinking Snape. Snape is the most morally great character in the Harry Potter series, in my opinion. Yeah. Because he claims to be doing all the protection for Harry because he loves Lily, but also he was willing to feed her husband to Voldemort. He was willing to feed her husband and child to Voldemort just so that she would love him again. But like at the same time, he has protected her son. Mm -hmm. And he's posing as the headmaster of Hogwarts. He killed Dumbledore all for what seems to be the greater good. But And that's why I think people love to hate him, too. Because he's such a good villain in the respect of, hmm, maybe he's not so bad. But, like, do I really believe that he's not bad? Because he just did kill quite a few people. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think you're right. I think some of the best villains are those where you're debating whether or not what the right answer yeah, is that they exactly yeah and i mean like th that kind of goes into my favorite villain um which is light yagami um he's from the anime death note i'm not very sure how familiar your audience is with anime i'm not i don't know about you guys if you are cool please listen on yeah um so i'll, I'll go ahead and explain it but what happens is that um he's this brilliant like high school student top of his class like um and uh, there's this death note that kind of comes down from the Shimigami world and he picks it up and that death note you can basically kill anyone if you know their face and their name 
And so throughout the, throughout the mangas, throughout the um, anime, you kind of see him um, descend into this idea where, you know, uh, is it right to kill criminals? And he doesn't kind of question that a lot, but it's, it's good because you have, on the other hand, you have L, who's the detective. He's kind of like Sherlock in this case, but, you know, uh, Light can't really, he doesn't really know his name, his true name, because he hides behind the persona of L. And so there's like this cat and mouse game that's going on between them where they have to figure out who the other one is. Um, L has to figure out who's killing all these people, but he kind of knows that it's Light. And then Light, on the other hand, has to figure out L's name before he's found out and before they turn him into the authorities. Um, and so through this cat and mouse game, you kind of see the question of what exactly is justice? Um, and, you know, on L's side, I would argue that they say that justice is kind of within the law and it's letting law enforcement take care of it, whereas um, Light's side, even though he's kind of um, this really arrogant sort of character, he is um, arguing that, you know, it's, it's killing the criminals and getting rid of the evil within society, whether or not those means are uh, correct based on societal standards. And Light is such a great villain, in my opinion, because, you know, he doesn't really have the elements of what we would think would be a good villain. We don't really know his backstory too much. Um, and, you know, he's kind of, in a way, he... He's a very awful person. Like, nobody in the Death Note fandom says that he is a good person, and if they do, um, I don't, it's not a, yeah, it's not a majority opinion, but the reason why he's so good is because he's so intelligent, he's so admirable, and you can kind of see his descent into madness as he's taking more and more lives. That kind of reminds me of Dexter. I haven't seen Dexter. Dexter. I haven't seen a lot of Dexter. I've seen a couple of episodes, but basically Dexter is a de detective. Oh, yeah, and then he but kills he'll, people. he'll kill the criminals that he's after, and then suddenly those criminals, like, will disappear without a trace, and people are like, hmm, I guess they're done, but, like, we'll get them one day, but the Dexter's like, yeah, uh-huh. Hmm. It's, like, also the morality of, like, is it okay for him to be killing these people? And it, it eats him up inside, and he slowly becomes more and more mad, and I think that that's the thing is, like, you could also argue, despite the good intentions being there, will that madness drive them to become the same thing? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that that's a good... I was going to go somewhere with light, and then I forgot what it was. I, I think it's... it's the question the, it's of the what Bailey's. is justice. Yeah. Is, yeah. It's just like, you have no idea by the end of it, especially Dexter. You're like, but is this really justice? Because the families of the people that were obviously affected by this, per this other person's actions did they get closure? That's not justice. Like, mm -hmm. you, at least from my point of view, like, it may make some people feel better that they're dead, but it also is like, I know a lot of families, especially of hmm, murder victims, want to see the person suffer, like, with their own eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it begs the question in both senses of, like, is this right or is this wrong? Like, is this giving any closure or justice? And yeah, and it's, a, it's a, again, it goes back to, like, that timeless debate of we're always going to be kind of arguing what yeah. justice looks like because none of us know the answer. So, right. you know, you can go back and rewatch Death Note. You can rewatch Dexter, I would argue, like, 20 years into the future, and you can still yeah. get the same thing out of it. I think that's the beauty of a lot of these films and movies and books yeah. and shows is, like, there are so many of them where you're like, these are going to be timeless arguments. Mm -hmm. Like even with like marvel or dc or what else did we mention harry potter like hmm. all of these have 
messages that you can go back to in 20, 30 years and be like, oh, that applies to whatever's going on now. Like, even the villains, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep jumping back and forth because partially I'm sleepy and second of all, I'm like, wait, you know me, neurons fire in my brain and I go off tangents and like, yikes. No, go ahead. Like, Harry Potter is very like synonymous with what's going on in our country right now. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, the divide, the racism, the murders for no good reason, it's all very synonymous. And it's like, it's been over almost, Jesus, it's been 23 years since the first book was released. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. You're more of a Harry Potter nerd I'm, than I, I am. I know, I'm telling you. I'm yeah. not even asking. I'm asking oh. myself. Um, it was, yeah, it was 97, I believe, when the Sorcerer's Stone was released. And it's been 10 years since the movies have finished. And... You're coming back to watch these things and you're like, this applies very heavily to what's going on today. So it's like when you find good villains and good heroes and just storylines that can be applicable and relevant in 10 to 20 years, I think that's awesome. And that's something you include in your writing is like being very cognizant of will this message resonate down the line? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't think that's something anyone ever is consciously like thinking it's just like if you're writing or if you're creating something centering around an issue that's happening and is big in your life or your surroundings at the time, chances are it will be the same way in 10 to 20 years. Because let's be honest, problems don't get fixed all that often. Yeah. Um, do you want to do anti-heroes now? Because I know you had those, had some of those. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it kind of ties into a lot of what we've already discussed already. Yeah. Um, I might go on like a 10-minute tangent here. <laughs> we've got all the time but, in the world. Uh, my all-time favorite um, anti-hero, and you can argue that he's a villain too, is Jason Todd um, from the Batman series. And if you're not familiar with Jason Todd, he was the uh, second Robin. So like the first Robin, you have Dick Grayson, who is basically the iconic one. Probably everybody knows who he is, even if you're not in the fandom. But uh, he uh, basically gets into an argument with Batman, and so he uh, takes up the Nightwing mantle for various different reasons. Um, and so Batman, uh, he's kind of on his own for a little bit, and then he meets this like scraggly kid who's kind of like taking his tires um, which is a really funny moment in the comments. Um, and uh, afterwards, he kind of trains Jason Todd to be Robin. But the thing about that's really interesting to me about Jason Todd is he kind of grew up in an impoverished environment. Um, he's, he's firsthand seen all of the injustice and all the corruption within Gotham. And so since it kind of goes back to, again, the question of what is justice, which I'll kind of get back to, but... Um, so he's seen all the corruption, he's seen all the injustice, he's seen all these villains get out of Arkham, all these villains kill other people. And so um, as he's training as Robin, he's really frustrated with Batman because he's like, why aren't you killing these criminals? Um, why, why are you letting these criminals go out and harm other people? And so um, this kind of escalates to the point where Robin eventually starts almost killing people, almost killing criminals, and... You know, Batman has that moral code of, no, you're not supposed to kill. Um, that doesn't really differentiate you between your enemies if you go ahead and do that. And so he takes uh, Jason Todd off the sidelines 
And um, what eventually happens is that this kind of leads to an effect to where Jason Todd, he like receives uh, a letter from his mother who I believe he, she was a drug addict in the comic books. So she wasn't really an influential figure, but you know, he's 15 at the time. So he goes and he visits her and they kind of rekindle a relationship. But once he goes to that different country, there's the Joker. And the Joker um, basically beats him brutally with a crowbar and then he leaves him within this warehouse and he puts a bomb within that warehouse. And fun fact, there actually was a fan vote um, whether or not to kill Jason Todd off. Apparently that fan vote got hacked to where it was in favor of killing Jason Todd, which is always an interesting tidbit for me to hear. But um, Batman basically has to rush to try to save Robin because he's in that country for whatever reason and it, he ends up dying. And so what happens in the story then is that Jason Todd is revived um, and he's, uh, he comes back from the dead through a Lazarus pit and he basically goes back to Gotham. And what he sees is the fact that Batman is still not killing criminals, even though Jason Todd was taken away from Batman. Um, and, you know, he's frustrated by this. He's like, why the fact that they killed me and you're still not pushed to kill these criminals? Like, why are you doing this? So it results in like this sort of moral battle between the two of them to where Jason Todd is, again, that foil for Batman, but in a different way um, because he's very much so questioning you know what exactly is justice um and that sort of argument um but what makes him so compelling is that i think he has a lot of potential um and a lot of arcs within our current society to where there's a lot of anger about a lot of the corruption that we've seen a lot of the injustice that we've seen and so the question of what is justice you know we're still trying to go ahead and debate that through um and since he's you know, also since he's such that great foil for Batman, um, and aside from that relatability aspect, um, he kind of makes Batman, again, question his own moral code, question what is right, uh, question if he should go ahead and kill criminals. And, you know, he's very much a symbol of again, being against, being against Batman. And you can kind of see that in the way that he uses, you know, his guns and everything, because Batman's so against guns since it killed his parents. But that's that's essentially why he's my favorite. I feel like I sort of resonate with Jason Todd, even though I know, like, you shouldn't kill people and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, the fact that he's just so angry Relatable. about... Yeah, the fact that he's just so angry about how society is nowadays um, and how people just get away with things. And he kind of wants to do something about it, but he doesn't really know what to do. So that's kind of why he's my favorite. I have two. Hmm. I mean, no, I get that. I don't know Batman, so I can't really You're like, good. conversate yeah. with you about it. But, like, that's your thing. And mine is Harry Potter, which I'll get to. That's I have my favorite anti-hero set up in Harry Potter. But um, I think I'm going to make an argument for a hero that should be considered an anti-hero as well. Um, Katniss Everdeen hmm. from The Hunger Games, I think, should absolutely be considered an anti-hero because... Yes, she's the one who is obviously saving Penem from the capital and fighting back against the government. But she, again, like Jason Todd, she's so angry about the fact that every single year there are 24 kids that get reaped and 23 that are murdered, mm. essentially in cold blood for the entertainment of the capital. She does it immediately out of selflessness to save her sister but once she gets into the arena and 
in actually just when she gets into the capital in general, it's immediately she only cares for herself. Yeah. And Pete is there and he's trying to help her and he's trying to figure out a way to stay alive as long as possible. Pete is very clear on the fact that he's not really going home. Haymitch knows that too. He knows that if anyone's going to come out of it alive, out of the two of them, if either one of the people from District 12 has a chance, it's going to be Katniss. So he's kind of putting all of his energy into her. But once she gets there, she finds out Pete is in love with her and she immediately goes on the defensive. Mm-hmm. And she's, some for whatever reason, pissed about it and is hoping he dies in the arena. Not... I don't want to say that. I don't think she wants him dead, but she just wants him gone is the thing. And even when she's in the arena and pretending to be in love with him, how self-serving can she be? I know she's upset. She's giving them the show that they want so that she can turn around and once she wins this thing, kind of just say fuck everything and just go back to her sister. And she's being very selfish. She's not being cognizant of the fact that she wants Peter to live. Mm-hmm. As much as she says she is, that's not her focus. She would gladly feed Peta to the other districts if it meant her, that she could get out alive. And I don't think that that's something that anyone wants to admit to, mm. is that in the beginning, I'm not saying towards the end in Mockingjay and things like that, but in the first book, She's more than willing to feed PETA to the careers. And just at the end, I think she gets so upset at the Capitol for putting her in the position of having to choose between PETA and herself. And so that's why she tries to swallow the, the berries, the poisonous berries, and PETA takes that with her. And she's kind of put them in the place of, now they're essentially fucked and it just makes her more angry because she's going to have to go back in and she's going to have to fight for her freedom and at the end of the day she doesn't care about anyone. No. I would I would argue that uh, she wants to go back to the way things were a lot of the times and she's angry when that she and has she, to be the symbol for the capital or the symbol for the rebellion. She, yeah, she's very angry with the fact that Snow after the fact that she tried to I think they're called night they're not what are they called? They're not midnight years. Oh, Nightlock. That's what they're called. I was like, oh. they're not midnight berries. What are they? <laughs> so when she's about, when her and Peter are about to swallow the Nightlock, she's very upset that Snow is turning around and saying, all right, that's the way you want to play it? I don't believe that you're in love with Peter. I see right through you, you dumb bitch. <laughs> so get married. Yeah. Prove to me that you're like in love with him. And instead of pushing back, she's just kind of, the thing is about her is she is an anti-hero, but she doesn't provide any pushback on that decision. She's like, all right, we'll get married. Yeah. All right, we'll do this. And then when she has to go back into the arena, she's suddenly pissed off because she's now put herself in that situation. And she knows that the capital doesn't want to be made a fool of. And essentially, what she could have done, as selfish as, as, selfish as it would have been, is... She and Peta could have very well stuck to themselves instead of teaming up with everyone like Hamish suggested that they do. What she should have done is, if she really cared about other people, she would have tried her damn well best to make it out of their lives and she wouldn't have cared what happened to anyone else. But the fact that she continuously tries to be self-serving and blow up the capital to show them that she's not a toy gets her district wiped off of the face of the capital. Hmm. District 12 is 
blown to bits. She's killed half of her community, if not more, out of her own self-servingness. And while it may have good intentions, there is, like you said, the, like what is just and what is like morally correct. It's a very gray area because obviously she should be upset that she is the face of a rebellion that she did not mean to cause. Mm-hmm. But she got everyone else killed, so now what else is she supposed to do about it? Because it's people's families that are killed. Peta's family's been killed. A lot of Gail's family gets killed. Her friends get killed in the process of defending her. She doesn't care about anyone. Even in Mockingjay, at the end, I think everyone knows this at this point, she does pick Peta out of her out of Gail and um, Peta. And when Peta, or not when Peta, when Gail accidentally kills Prim, she gets very upset when in reality, like, she doesn't know if it was the bomb that he made or not. Hmm. And it could have very well been somebody else, but she's so self-serving and being like, oh no, this person hurt me, even though despite the fact that I've gotten everyone else this person cares about killed, like, I'm just going to be with this person. And she doesn't even seem happy about it. She just seems like... Yeah, I, I see that. And I... I agree that it is really relatable too within our society because I feel like I feel like there's a lot of anger too about why are we still fighting for these rights for other people? Um, why do we still have to do this? Why do we yeah. still have to go out? Um, 246 years in, it should not be an issue. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, and you know, again, that applies to the timeless thing, which which you mentioned as well. The fact that um, there's always going to be some anger and some need for change just because we're all human and we all have our own sort of moral system. I think the difference between like the Hunger Games and what's going on now though is like the people that we've used for symbols that have passed away in the last year are not, nobody's using them as symbols like for their own personal gain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I would argue that. Well, unless you're conservative, and um, like, are you referring to like Breonna Taylor? And, yeah, I yeah. Think most people are using it to be like. I feel like companies like, are. Companies are. Yeah, I'm talking about definitely. individual people. Okay. Like, yeah. The actual people who are wanting to fight. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're doing that as like self-serving. That I think company, no, definitely companies not. are using it for profit, and I don't think that that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thanks for that clarification, because yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, I understand how that comes off as like. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, wait, no, I didn't mean it like that. But really quickly, I'm gonna do my favorite antihero, and I think everyone is um expecting me to say this for Draco Malfoy. Oh, (laughs) oh my! If there was ever a character that you love to hate, I think that that's it. Hmm. At least for me, like because if you think about it, Draco is very much so not wanting to be a part of what he's a part of. He grew up in an abusive household. It's not explicitly stated in the books that his father abused him, but if you look up like what is canon and what J.K. Rowling has said about like the Malfoy family and their background, it's said that Narcissa was a lot more loving towards her son and Lucius kind of cast him aside, wasn't always very interested in Draco. Just was kind of making, just was kind of interested in making sure that he was there to carry on the family name. So, from the very beginning, Draco just wants to make his father proud. Yeah. And in the Chamber of Secrets too, in the book, he says, when they come across Hermione in um, the bookstore, Lucius says to him, "This is the mudblood that you lost too. Like 
because she beat him out for first in their class. Malfoy is actually second in their year at Hogwarts, Mm. which nobody gives Malfoy enough credit for being that smart. He is quite smart. Um, The drivenness of a Slytherin. He's really, like, if you think about it, if you separate Malfoy from his lineage and everything, he's quite intelligent, Mm -hmm. and he knows what's going on around him, and he's very clever, and he is a Slytherin. I am too. (laughs) We love that. We love that. The Slytherin and Hufflepuff best friend trope is what we are. Oh, yeah, definitely. We really are. Definitely. Um, but, and then just, he's constantly looking to his father for approval. Mm-hmm. He's constantly looking for that, like, you know, the classic, my father will hear about this. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's because he wants to know, like, he just wants the attention. Mm. It's like when Buckbeak attacks him, Buckbeak is not a violent creature. Buckbeak's a hippogriff who just gets pissed off when people are like, hey, I'm going to come near you and do whatever the fuck I want. Like, as anyone would. Like, if somebody just, like, went up to you and was like, hey, and they didn't know you, and you'd be like, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, be like, you know don't touch I mean? me. Yeah. <laughs> you like, keep your hands off me. Especially during COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I've had people come up and touch me about this. He wants attention. Even in the fourth book, um, there's just like, oh, yeah, we have a bet. And it's very a narcissistic relationship between them. And then finally, the fifth book comes, and Voldemort's out in the open, and I'm sure Draco knows this. It's never explicitly stated as to whether he knows this at the early point that most of the Wizarding World does not. But his father, Lucius, does get sent to Azkaban. That's not made clear in the books either. Mm. In the in the books, in the movies, it's not made clear that Lucius, after the fifth movie, was sent to fifth. Why am I saying movie as if that came first? In the fifth book. Lucius is sent to Azkaban because when they find Voldemort in the Ministry of Magic, they know that his supporters are with him and they see Lucius Malfoy before he um, disapparates and um, they send him away for a year. And at that point, Draco is just very pissed and he's hell-bent on winning his father's approval, carrying on his legacy, showing him that he is worthy of love and affection and of that trust. And that's why he promises Voldemort that he will be the one to kill Albus Dumbledore mm. and it's very much so Draco I think the books do the, the books and the movies especially did a very good job of illustrating Draco's struggle with the whole thing yep. is the movies don't do a very good job of illustrating a lot about the Harry Potter movies as good as they are they're not perfect but I think Half-Blood Prince was very accurate in the way that they portrayed Draco because you can tell that Draco knows that Murdering Voldemort is wrong. He sees what the necklace does to Katie Bell when she is possessed and very badly hurt. He sees that the mead that he gave Professor Slughorn to give to Professor Dumbledore hurts Ron Weasley. And as much as he hates Ron, he doesn't want him to die. He doesn't want anyone's death to be on his hands. And he especially doesn't want to kill Albus Dumbledore, who is the most powerful wizard in the world. He just wants to make his family proud of him. Because you're forgetting Bellatrix Lestrange is also his aunt. The abuse and the narcissism that must have been going on at the manor was probably insane. Mm -hmm. And you can see his mother making the unbreakable vow to protect him. And he even says to Dumbledore before his last moments, if I don't kill you, he's going to kill me. And he knows, but... And he just looks torn up as Hogwarts is destroyed before his eyes. But in the in the Deathly Hallows, he's very much so back to the vapid, narcissistic, 
person that he is made out to be throughout the rest of the franchise because his father is back. His father is out of Azkaban and they just want to prove themselves to Voldemort. He wants to prove himself to stay alive and he is very well, very much so aware and very much so still an arrogant piece of shit the entire time. He doesn't pay any mind to Harry until he shows up at Malfoy Manor and is, um, he covers for him and says that, oh, that's not Harry, that was a person stung by a bee, like, I don't know who that is, but he still has no regard for his life. He just doesn't want to die, and he knows that if Harry dies, his chances of ever being a good person are out the window. Perfect. Bit analysis, I'm like, woo. Be like a regular, like. <laughs> I would actually seven. love to. Please do. Yeah. Just co-host with me. It'll be fun. I would fun. love to. Yeah. Yes. We should. I'm yeah. not kidding. We actually should. No, that would actually be fun. I feel like I would have a lot more fun talking to you every week than I would to like anyone else. Yeah. It's. So, yes. Madison will be back by my voice for over an hour every day. Alcohol makes you a better writer. Like, I don't know if you've seen that, but a lot of people are like, you know, Hemingway, he, he wrote when he was drunk and blah, 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 I just blah, blah. to say most of Hemingway's, like, really good pieces come out of him being drunk. <laughs> like, just crazy. Gone. <laughs> I think, like... Poor guy. Being mentally impaired in general, like, being, going through grief makes you a better writer, too. Like, look at Poe. Poe, like, was losing his marbles and was, like, just... <laughs> Great poems. Immaculate. Yeah. The Telltale Heart. Immaculate. <laughs> Wow. We should, the intoxicated artist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I feel like we should talk about cosplaying next time you're here. Oh, I don't know too much about cosplaying, though. I... Who would... Okay, I'm going to ask you this. Who would be your ideal person? Across? My podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully... Uh, There's no hopefully. She'll be back. <laughs> She'll make me come back. We're keeping her. <laughs> Madison's just going to be the co-host of the Caffeinated Artist from now I'm on. I'm going to take over. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm no. fired. This is Call Her Daddy. <laughs> you know the whole Call Her Daddy drama where she like where the co-host I, and her had a falling out? No, I, I, I don't watch podcasts that regularly. You don't watch podcasts, honey. You listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a YouTube gal. Fair. I mean, okay, so basically what had happened was it was the two best friends that were like doing it. Hmm. But the one, she edited it, she, like, recorded it. She's the one that got it into Barstool Sports in the first place. I hate Barstool Sports as an organization. That's another thing. We could talk about sexist organizations. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. In our feminism episode. It'll be a whole episode about Barstool Sports. Oh. Um, I don't really know too much about them, so. I do. Fuck Barstool Sports. We can bring one of Reed's friends in. He's a guy. He also hates Barstool Sports. We, it'll be fun. Um, but, um, no, so what had happened was basically, like, they had given her a raise. because She was doing more. Mm. and obviously like that's fine she chose not to tell her partner because like she would have gotten really upset like that they'd given her a raise and not her for doing more work you should advocate for your friend she tried to she said so at the end of the year they did give her a raise but it wasn't as big Mm. of like a raise so she did advocate for her and then what had happened was she found out about it though and she found out she made more money and they had eventually wanted to like go and like leave Barstool with Call Her Daddy and Barstool said fuck no because like it's not in their contract 
Mm. So one of the hosts wanted to completely scrap the brand and start something new. And the one that is still on the show said, why would we scrap the brand that we spent two years building? Yeah. Like, and the company was willing to pay them $500,000 a year. Oh, wow. And give them the rights to their podcast, which nobody ever does. Yeah. So they could walk, theoretically, if they wanted to. Yeah. But they were like, just do this with us. And the one of them didn't want to take the deal. She wanted more. Hmm. So. $50,000 a year is really good. 500000 500000 I would cry. In New York City. I could pay off my student loans with that money. I could, too. Yeah. And buy a house. Yeah, I could pay off my student loans, your student loans, and buy a house. Kaylee's, too. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Madison will be back for part two with um, side characters. Not side characters. Secondary characters. Yeah. Then another one with feminism. And also cliches that we love. Sounds and then good. we will come up with more topics as we go. Because she'll be back regularly. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I'm going to force you. I'm going to be like, no, I'm showing up to your door. <laughs> you can show up to my like messy-ass apartment. Yeah, I'll be like, all right, that's it. Yeah. We're living like artists now. <laughs> Me right. brings hopefully the right Dutch. Oh. oh hey, if we don't have Dutch, uh, the alcoholic artist, the intoxicated artist. The intoxicated artist. Me chugs the Baileys now. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Um, I hope you had a great time. And um, now a word from our sponsors. Hello, this is Starbucks, and we love the caffeinated artists, (laughs) and we are going to start sponsoring them starting January 1st until 2025, at least because Sabrina has a serious caffeine addiction and can't afford to go to Starbucks every day after she graduates, so we want to help her. Thank you. (laughs) Good day. Bye-bye. All right, you guys. As always... Follow the podcast on socials and follow me. And if you want to stalk my profile and find Madison, you can do that too. I hope you're leaving me anonymous. <laughs> you're going to change your name. You're going to be like, well. No. Because you don't let anyone follow you. You have like. Yeah. So um, that's why I was like, I'm not going to like say it without you saying it first. I mean, if you want to have a conversation with me, um, it's uh, the most pretentious thing you'll ever hear today. Isolated. Isles. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty pretentious, isn't it? I don't think it's it. It is. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's because yeah. I've known you long enough to be like, that's not pretentious. If, if you want to if you wanna argue with me, if you want to send me hate, um, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to create a big account just to send you hate. People are going to be like, I hate what you said about Marvel. I hate you as a person. You suck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. feel free to start hate arguments with me, too, because at least that shows you're listening. Also, please review the podcast on Spotify slash Apple. Gotta end the podcast. Yeah. It's been two hours. I need to go home. (laughs) Yeah, shit. I forgot you have to walk. Yeah. Oh, no. I'll be okay. Bye, (laughs) y'all. Have a nice night. We ended this, like, three times. We'll see you later. (laughs) Configuring the Bluetooth. Deciding who controls the music. Avoiding potholes. Remembering where you parked. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with Auto Owners Insurance, getting the right coverage for your vehicle doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who live in your community and answer when you call, so you can get back to more important things, like remembering if you're on the third or fourth level of the parking garage. That's simple human sense. Ask your independent agent if Auto Owners makes sense for you.
Hey guys, I'm Serafina, and thanks for listening to SGP Radio. Stream our podcasts and more across SGP Radio platforms, including the Brandon Gerald Productions app for iOS and Android. Or you can visit www.bgpllcapp.com. Stream, download, listen, like, share, subscribe, repost, binge, and enjoy this podcast and so much others like Not Your Token Black Girl, Working Gals Guide, Black Girl Storytime, Juice Pro Wrestling, Black Guy Wrestling, and Podcasts About Nothing. We have so much more on our stations. Tell it for her, noir, and wrestling fans, including SGP Radio Originals and our blogs. Enjoy. Support for this episode has been provided by Ratio Keto-Friendly Crunchy Bars. If counting macros makes your head spin, count instead on a snack by Ratio. They've done the math for you, so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day. Delicious and convenient, both their toasted almond and lemon almond flavors have two grams of net carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein, all in a satisfying crunch. Interested? Ratio Keto-Friendly Bars are now available in the granola bar aisle at Walmart. As a small business owner, you're redefining business as usual. From rethinking the way you work to reassessing your bandwidth, you're changing the way you do business. And at Cox Business, so are we. With flexible internet packages to get you back to business. Rethink. Reconnect. Reimagine. Get 50 megs of internet for only $70 per month for six months. No annual contract required. Ends 12-31-20 restrictions apply. Visit coxbusiness.com for details. All services subject to Cox Business General Terms.